to another episode of the Liver Health Pod. I'm Will Kemp, and I'm here with my co-host Paul Gow. G'day, Will. Afternoon, John, John Labelle. Hi, Will. Hi, Paul. Lovely office. We're recording today from John's new office here in Kew in Melbourne. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you. And it's very, very swish. He's a man of the people, John. He sees anyone and everyone. I give people time. That's why I like. I'm sure. I'm sure you're worth every cent, John. <laughs> No, it's great. Now, before we get started with today's episode, just if you are enjoying listening to the Liver Health Pod, then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And of course, we're also on socials on Twitter, so feel free to follow us and we'd love to hear from you. If you've got ideas for episodes, then drop us a note on Twitter. Instagram as well, Paul? It's flying. Instagram's flying. Liver Health Pod Instagram. (laughs) Is it Twitter or X, by the way? I just wondered. Yeah, I think it's X now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Twitter. Twitter. But for, for the older audience that might be familiar with um, Twitter, then, uh, yeah, no, hit us up. Um, Insta will be up very, very soon. Now, some of our listeners, however, have asked about COVID and the liver. So we thought that would be a good thing to talk about today. And the other thing that I saw two days ago was an article in the paper. Now, of course, we're recording from Melbourne, which I think has the dubious honour of being the most locked down state. And Melbourne is now in its eighth wave of COVID infection. But it's very different to what we saw back in December 2019, early 2020. I mean, I think we accept that it's another respiratory tract illness that's with us. Gentlemen, are you seeing COVID in your practices in the hospitals? In my family. In your family. So, I mean, it's like, like the flu or cold now, really, for a lot of us. It's an inconvenience, yeah. it's a respiratory tract illness, but we're certainly not seeing the same issues in the hospital. I've had a couple of patients admitted in the last month, and these are patients with pre-existing liver problems, so cirrhosis or some other significant liver problem. And I think COVID's just been an extra insult that they didn't need, and it's landed them in hospital. So COVID does have an impact on the liver and that's obviously an impact on people with significant liver disease but I guess we're going to focus more today on more broadly on COVID in the liver and does it really matter is there a link between the two if you catch COVID do you need to be worried about the liver or if you do have some other liver problem like hepatitis or fatty liver does COVID matter what about that first question then John if you if you're healthy and you've got normal liver tests and you get COVID do you need to worry about your liver Probably not is the answer, the short short answer to that, but um, in most instances not. But there are a percentage of people, around a quarter, so 20, nearly 25% of people will have subtle changes in their liver tests, which aren't, aren't life-threatening. Um, and in fact, they occur with other respiratory tract infections as well, or, or any, any illness really. Um, so liver tests can go up, and we've talked about liver tests in the past, um, how sensitive they can be with metabolic health, but they can also go off with medications, they can go off with concurrent illnesses such as influenza, COVID. So, so certainly it was identified um, early on, I think, in the, in the pandemic that liver tests can be affected. There are few cases in the literature of serious events in the liver happening after COVID infection, um, possibly related to changes in the immune system, so I'm talking about autoimmune hepatitis. There have been reported cases of, of really quite severe cases of autoimmune hepatitis. I think you've described um, a series, Will, um, certainly published on that. Um, so there are, there are cases of that. 
Um, but most in most cases, the the liver tests are really transient, minor alterations in liver tests, which aren't life threatening in any way. So your liver is this amazing organ. It gets exposed to something it doesn't like. It gets a bit sick, and it's evolved to just recover without consequence. So. Um, what you've said, John, yes, your liver test might go up for a few weeks and they'll go back down to normal. There's no long-term consequence of that if you're starting off with a healthy liver. And, of course, as with any medical thing, there's exceptions to the rule, but the exceptions with COVID and the liver and a healthy liver are really rare. But, Will, say your liver's not healthy. Say you've got, you're in, you've got cirrhosis, but your liver's still working very well. Is, is what John said about COVID and a healthy liver the same if you've got significant liver injury? I think there is a difference in that setting. But having said that, even with cirrhosis, the majority of people who contract COVID infection are not going to develop significant liver liver problems related to that infection. But when you look at all of the data, there is an increased rate of having liver complications and and we term them sort of medical words decompensation, but it means running into liver problems like fluid retention, um, turning yellow, becoming confused, all of these things can happen when the liver's put under more stress and COVID might be that extra stress that tips, I guess, colloquially speaking, some people over the edge and that's why they need to come into hospital. And they're the sort of patients I was talking about earlier on in the podcast. But I think the majority of people with cirrhosis will experience what most people experience, which is an upper respiratory tract type infection or affecting the... um, nose, runny nose, sore throat, loss of smell. These common symptoms are the same symptoms that they get. I mean, gastrointestinal issues are also, so gut issues are an issue with COVID. Diarrhea and constipation are also extremely common and well reported, but they're not a cause of significant illness that results in people coming to hospital. And it's it's interesting, and this relates again, just to maybe expand on the cirrhosis comment. So we're all I talk about this as a principle with lots of my patients. So we're all born with enormous amounts of spare liver reserve and that reserve is there because your liver has evolved to be injured and just recover. And that principle works really well with infections and as John talked about before, if you get COVID, your liver gets a bit of a hit. It's got heaps of spare capacity so you walking around with this slightly injured liver don't even know. But if you've got cirrhosis, you've lost a lot of that reserve and you've often got relatively small amounts of reserve between being well and being sick and COVID can theoretically push your liver over an edge not necessarily an irreversible edge but over an edge towards symptoms and again most often in that situation the COVID infection settles down your immune response to COVID settles down your liver symptoms that you've developed during that illness resolve back towards normal and your liver just recovers. Yeah, that's right. And I and I think just extending that there are a small group of people who have really significant liver disease due to whatever cause. So they've already in that state where they've lost their reserve. And in that setting, COVID can be really significant and severe. And in that setting, you know, COVID can be life-threatening. But for the majority of people, that's not the issue. And I, I, back in 2020, when COVID was... Um, Circling in the community, you know, it was a major issue. We had lots of patients coming to hospital and perhaps like like the both of you, you know, I was sequestered away from gastroenterology to run COVID wards because they didn't have enough doctors. So it was a huge issue. Even now in the eighth wave, we don't see anything like that. The vast majority of people are not coming to hospital. They don't need to. They take a few days off work and, and, and obviously they're not getting their liver tests performed 
But if we were to perform liver tests on everyone with COVID these days, we'd probably find some minor changes. And those changes are sort of inflammatory, aren't they, John? What, what would you see on liver tests? What would people see? So we divide the liver enzymes into enzymes that go up if the liver cells themselves are affected or if the, the bile ducts, the ducts that carry bile or the tubes that carry bile, and generally it's a, a mild to moderate elevation in the, the liver cell um, markers that go up, um, but they're not, they're not super elevated. Um, and I don't think there will be you know, a m- concern to most hepatologists and they will generally spontaneously get better. The, the exception to that, of course, is if you're very sick. If you're very sick, then, then the pattern can change and you can get um, a, a change which looks more um, in the, sort of the bile duct um, picture, which is called cholestatic, but that's, uh, that's going into nuanced medicine. But when you, get, when you get very sick and you're in intensive care, for example, you can get sepsis that causes abnormal liver tests, which is a slightly different pattern. But th- you know, this, is, this is a, a rare entity at the moment. Uh, can I take you all back one second? Because we're, we're talking about um, COVID-19, the disease, and the SARS virus um, first hit our understanding, I think, in 2003, when there was a first wave of SARS that occurred. And, and there were high rates of um, cases in China, but also in, in actually Canada as well. Uh, and I want to tell you something you may not know, um, because you probably know something about the, the way SARS gets into the, the human and it's via a receptor and the receptor is called ACE2 and in fact I've got a picture that I want to show you guys and I want you to describe it to the audience see what see what you you, you can see um, so tell me tell me maybe what you see Paul what, what you, I like these little surprises tell me tell me what you see yeah I was looking at it before you showed me the picture and I, I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I don't know what I'm looking at but if you hadn't given me any background I would say it looks like a an X-ray of a fly with something inside its belly, yep. something moving around inside its and, belly. And what can you describe the movement? How do you describe it? Well, it's do almost you... sort of. Uh, I mean, I agree completely with Paul. It looks like an X-ray of a fly with almost a pulsating, uh, rhythmical pulsating of a of a of a heart of a vessel yeah. or something like yeah. that inside the. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a fruit fly, and um, this is it's not an X-ray. It's just it's just a um, microscope view. Sorry for, for that visual um, <laughs> sort of uh, show and tell we just had on the podcast. But, well, actually, you described it very well. So it's a it's a black and white picture, a video actually, of a fruit fly, and it shows the cardiovascular system of the fruit fly, and and in fact. Um, it was in the fruit fly that was first described an enzyme which was very similar to the one that's already known about in humans called ACE, which is angiotensin-converting enzyme. And they called this enzyme homolog ACE, or H, little h ACE, and subsequently they found it in humans Can as I well. just interrupt, just for the audience's sake, John's PhD was on ACE too, so... Um, it just so happens. It just so happens... <laughs> This is a favourite topic of John, and of course published in the New England Journal on ACE2. Really? And, and like that's John's famous. famous well. One, well, let's, let's, not, let's not overinflate it. I just want to get the audience excited no, here no, no, that no, they're no. hearing cutting-edge stuff. This the is story, a world expert on the ACE. The story is interesting, not, not, no, the, not no. the letter. All right, carry on. Okay, so, so basically in 2000, and, and this shows you something about um, serendipity in medicine. It shows you how sometimes it's just the right person's there at the right time. So basically in 2000, um, there was the identification of this homologue ACE and subsequently they realised that it existed in humans and they called it ACE2, 
imaginatively. So the angiotensin converting enzyme two. And in T- about TWO. TWO2. And in 2003 was the first SARS virus infection. And and really, someone who's very famous, um, who I think was in Vienna, had got a a year's work in Canada. And it so happens, Canada had a lot of cases. And in, in the institution he worked at, there were over 40 deaths where he had access to the hearts of the patients in post mortem. And he identified that ACE2 and the virus co-located in the hearts when those patients died of of myocarditis or inflammation of the heart so he he demonstrated that SARS virus and ACE2 receptor and he was already an ACE2 specialist happened to be working and moved to Canada to work there for a year he found that this this enzyme was critical for the original SARS to get access so the implication here is that the these viruses need ACE2 to get inside the cell. Right. So ACE2 is expressed on the surface of the cell and the virus uses that to get yeah. inside. So it's spike protein yeah. that we that you've probably heard about. It attaches to the ACE2 and there's, there's, other, there's other attachments that are required as well. But the, you, you can get internalisation of the virus through the ACE2 receptor. And interestingly, um, there is a lot of ACE2 in the liver. There's a lot of ACE2 in the gastrointestinal tract, and of course, there's a lot of ACE2 in the lungs. So I've read that ACE2 mainly is in the bile duct, but there's a bit in the liver. But if you have inflammation of your liver, so if you have a condition that causes inflammation, um, so not just fatty liver, but if you have inflammation related to that fat, then the amount of ACE that your liver cells express can go up. And that might, the theory is that that might predispose the liver to actually direct infection with the virus in certain conditions that cause liver inflammation is that yeah i think right? I, 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 I think i think that is that is one of the theories but there's lots of theories out there but um but certainly it is it is quite interesting that there is a diarrheal illness associated with with covid um and also liver abnormalities as well and of course there's the the pneumonia you get as well with it so one reason that the liver might become inflamed or you might develop abnormal liver function tests with COVID is because of a direct infection of the virus of the liver. But there are lots of other potential reasons that the liver test might go off. You mentioned one of them before, is that if you're sick for other reasons, you've got inflammation in the body, you've got a nasty respiratory tract infection or a pneumonia, then sometimes the liver um, enzymes go up in that setting. Yeah, absolutely. So and, and and some medicines and antibiotics, I think, you know, transiently can make your liver tests go off. Um, but certainly being sick through through a, even a non-liver cause can make your liver tests go abnormal. So we're we up to the summary, gents. That we're up to? I think we're close. Do you, do you, we... I, I do want to reflect a little bit about COVID. Am I allowed to reflect? Go for a it, John. Um, I, I was just looking. So I did a presentation on, on ACE to, to the Sydney Liver Group. In, in April and at that time we were looking at the first wave and then the second wave was just coming through. April 2020. Yeah, yeah, April 2020. And and actually the first wave, I remember we were all quite worried about it and it seemed like a lot of numbers. But then actually when, this is WHO data, but when you looked at the second wave, the first wave, you could barely even see it as a rise. It was just a phenomenal um, condition. Of course, I mean, many of our viewers won't know that I think we spent 263 days in lockdown. We had 
you know, maximum distance we could travel was five kilometers. We had curfews, you had to be in, inside the house at by 9 p.m. You could do, there was quite a lot of rules in Victoria, in, in, in Australia. But, it, you know, it's, it, is, it is lovely to be in a room with, with two of your colleagues rather than doing it through Teams or Zoom or through other platforms. Um, but it is an amazing thing that we've experienced and, and the whole world has experienced over the last, you know, few years. And some of it's still, still going on, I guess. It's still, um, fallout. It's still going on in, in my house because my son now sleeps with an air purifier running in his room because he likes the noise. He got so used to the hum of the air purifier during COVID times that, in fact, he sort of he misses it if it's, if it's too silent. So This is a first world problem. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think time to wrap up. Okay, so the wrap-up is, and I think this is really simple, the wrap-up is if you've got COVID – Really don't worry about your liver at all. Your liver might get a bit of a knock. It'll bounce back without consequence. Exceptions being if you've got very, very advanced liver disease. So if you've got liver failure and or had a transplant for liver, a liver transplant, then COVID can cause more significant and even life-threatening problems. But generally it's a um, something that is really interesting to ACE2 experts and very, very others, very, very few others. Brilliant summary, Paul. I think you've encapsulated it very nicely. You've been listening to the Liver Health Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Liver Health Pod. We hope you found it interesting and entertaining. But remember, while we are doctors, we are not your doctor. You are unique and you deserve personalised medical advice, which is essential for making informed decisions about your health and well-being. Because the information presented in this podcast is general in nature, it may not be relevant to your circumstances and is not a substitute for professional advice from your healthcare professional. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the organisations we work for. In fact, those organisations don't even know that we've made this podcast. So if you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe. You can also leave a review and a rating which will help others find us. Thanks for listening. Till next time.